Hello, everyone. This week, we're going to be talking about the lawsuit that's being brought by six individuals against the United States Treasury Department regarding their designation of the Tornado Cash Smart contracts as sanctioned entities. This is a huge deal, and Coinbase is proud to sponsor and support this lawsuit um, because we think that it's important that somebody is able to bring it. For a little bit of context for everyone, the Tornado Cash smart contracts are a technology, a tool that helps individuals preserve their privacy on the blockchain. What it allows individuals to do is quite simple. It allows them to uh, deposit funds from a single address and then withdraw them to another unassociated address uh, and thereby breaking the link between those two accounts. A really simple way of putting it in layman's terms is that it allows people to take cash that they currently have laying in a drawer and putting it in a safe inside their own house. You're not mixing the currencies, you're not interacting with other people, you're just moving your own money around. This is an important privacy-preserving technology, given that everything on the Ethereum blockchain is public today. And so with that, I'm really, really excited to have these four individuals, and let's dive in. So um, I've known some of, the, some of you folks for, for a very long time, but maybe one of the things that we'll do is just kick it off with a round of introductions. Hey, uh, I'm Preston Van Loon. I'm a Ethereum core developer, a co-founder at Prismatic Labs. I've been involved with Ethereum since the beginning of 2018. I thought it was a really, really interesting technology where you can deploy things uh, in a decentralized fashion and really have, you know, quote, unstoppable applications. Ethereum has this great guarantees of, of, of liveness and security. And with that, you can power really interesting innovations, especially in the financial space. I then saw, you know, that uh, Ethereum has a lot of work to do in the core protocol. It was kind of slow, already expensive, already reaching the limits of the, the blockchain with people buying NFTs, CryptoKitties to be specific. <laughs> Um, so I took it upon myself to say, I want to get involved. I want to work on the core protocol. Uh, we formed a group called Prismatic Labs and have been contributing to the uh, the consensus side of Ethereum ever since. Alex, you want to go next? Yeah, sure. So I read, um, guys, Alex Fisher, I go by Alex Dadith uh, everywhere. Um, I read the Bitcoin white paper in 2013 and I, then I reread it and I, you know, I kind of like tried to figure it out for that year. And then 2014, I was like, okay, this is, this is a really interesting technology. Uh, I studied computer engineering. And so when I read the, the Ethereum white paper um, later in probably uh, 2015, I was just blown away like by the idea of, you know, blockchain uh, transactions and then um, like programmable code. So I got really, really interested in it. At the time, I was running a, a small uh, software shop here in Michigan, and I just kept spending more nights and weekends and then days, you know, thinking about Ethereum and, and blockchain. And finally, I, I sold my company in early 2016 to focus on Ethereum. So everything from, you know, coding Solidity to going to hackathons to doing some, um, like, Fortune 100 consulting about blockchain and crypto. And then more recently, I've been uh, more focused on um, staking. And so I have a couple small staking companies and I've been really focused um, on uh, making sure my, my Prism clients work. And uh, so I've been testing the Prism software for years. Preston, you guys did an amazing job and uh, really, really proud of the community this week. 
Yeah. And and for, for reference, um, we're recording this episode on September 16th. So the Ethereum merge actually happened um, a little bit more than 24 hours ago, which is kind of wild to think about um, because so many of the folks here had a big part to play in it. And Preston and his team at Prismatic Labs, um, who created um, and helped maintain the Prism client software, is the uh, most widely used um, client, which is essentially a piece of software that operates the Ethereum blockchain. And so his team is responsible for like one of the most important contributions to um, what keeps Ethereum running, which is really, really, really amazing. But with that, I'll pass it over to Kevin. Yeah, thanks, Victor. Um, my name is Kevin Vitale. I'm currently the principal crypto engineer uh, at a company called Grid Plus. We manufacture the Lattice One hardware wallet. I actually got my shirt on today. Um, I first got into crypto in 2017 um, in, in, in a serious way. Uh, a couple years prior to that, I had had conversations with people in my network. Some of them were kind of uh, <clears throat> really interested in what was going on there. And I took a look at it probably around 2013, 2012. And it wasn't necessarily aligning with what I was interested in at the time. And I'll be honest too, even in 2017, it took me a really long time to understand it. I didn't get it. You know, I talked to a lot of people in this space um, and uh, seemingly right away, they had a pretty good idea of what they wanted from the ecosystem. Um, I, I wanted something different than what I would had worked on for the last 15 years, which was, uh, you know, a lot of web two and specifically mobile things. Uh, my background uh, includes some, pretty wi uh, widely known applications in, uh, in mobile space. And I, I was just looking for something else. Once I did start looking into it though, I think what drew me into it and what I got really excited about was the attitude and the, uh, the community and the ecosystem, specifically in Ethereum, that just saw potential in something that uh, supported human coordination in a way that I wasn't finding elsewhere in the technology that I was looking around. I, I got into technology really early on as a kid, like all of us, we were a bunch of nerds, just uh, looking at the, the pretty pictures flashing on the television, thinking how cool this magic was. But ultimately, like uh, my career was set out to, to be impactful and to join, uh, you know, uh, a, a community of people who are always looking to do what, you know, not, not only things that were fun, but seemed important. Um, I found that now in, in Ethereum, and, and I'm extremely thrilled to have been a part of this community for so long now, a couple of years, five years, whatever it is. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm extremely thankful for the opportunity to uh, play a part in shaping the future of this network through my work at Grid Plus, through um, other uh, interests that I have in staking, um, building smart contract apps. This has been uh, one of the things I feel like I'm... I'm uh, finally getting to pay forward in a way that I, I deeply get connected to. I want to have Tyler introduce himself, but then I'm gonna, Kevin, I'm going to come right back to you and ask you a little bit more about that. I'm also really interested to, uh, to learn more about your work at Grid Plus. Um, but yeah, my name is uh, Tyler Almeida. I'm a senior security risk analyst, um, a small company, uh, Coinbase, you've probably heard of it maybe. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I think I would echo a lot of what everyone's kind of said here. And, and my intro into crypto has also been kind of long and winding, um, as I'm sure a lot of people, um, you know, I think I was first introduced to uh, Bitcoin and the, the Bitcoin white paper probably in, um, I don't remember the year, but would have been in like the college dorms. Uh, I remember I first heard about it because of I was playing a, a you know online game and, and someone was selling virtual gold in that game on eBay for uh, for Bitcoin. And uh, I think I remember trying to get Bitcoin, had no idea how to get it, ended up giving up. 
Wait, which 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 game was it? Uh, you know, it, it was World of Warcraft. Ah, neither uh, <laughs> here nor there. Um, anyways, um, and yeah, I had no idea how to get it. I thought, okay, this is kind of a, a weird thing. Ended up not going through with it, but through a bunch of online, you know, communities and forums, found the white paper. I'll admit, didn't read it fully, uh, skimmed it, but I was like, this is cool. Um, and kind of got involved in the communities enough to just kind of have that intro, right? And so the years go on, you hear more about it. I'm still maybe fairly dismissive, but interested. I'm like, okay, I like the idea. The dreamer in me is is wants to know more, but I'm like, you know, I'm also a realist. This, you know, who knows where, where this is going to end up. Um, you know, TLDR kind of fast forward a bunch of years, probably around 2016, 17, frustrating a little bit more involved, uh, you know, hear you know, chatter about this Ethereum thing. Um, there's a bunch of other chains that are that are now kind of launching and, and show a lot of promise and, and kind of echoing with Kevin, the community as well, like was super open, super helpful as far as like getting involved, getting into the space, um, you know, helping me figure out how the heck do I self-custody this stuff? You know, like what are these, uh, you know, wallets? What, what, you know, how do you understand the concept behind these? Um, but yeah, still no, no way to get professionally involved that, you know, I was in consulting and security and privacy. Um, a lot of these companies aren't very, uh, at the time, very corporate or very, you know, structured. So they're not looking for a security risk analysts, right? Um, so come around time of the Coinbase DPO, uh, a prior colleague of mine who's working at Coinbase says, hey, man, I'm wearing 17 hats here. One of them is security risk. We need someone here. You know, are you interested? Um, and that was kind of like, you know, all the stars aligning for me. I was like, yes, let's let's totally do this. Um, and since then, I've been kind of just leaning in hundred percent into crypto. So that's awesome. How, how long have you been in Coinbase? Uh, the week after the public offering. So, oh, very yeah. cool. I tried getting in before, uh, it was a lengthy process and, um, everyone was out, uh, celebrating the, uh, the offering. And so the, the next, uh, onboarding session was the Monday after. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was, I was over at Bison trails, um, trails, okay. uh, an infrastructure provider. And we got acquired, I think, like two months before the DPO, sometime around January, February. So we joined right before. So we have about some very similar tenure over here at Coinbase. Yeah. Yeah, it's been great. Honestly, um, I, just one last point I'd, I'd add to, you know, kind of what got me into crypto. I've been going to, you know, corporate uh, conventions and, um, you know, kind of events for for years. And, and I'd always come home just like, is this for me? Like, you know, I, I just, I... I don't really connect at those kind of things. It's all very salesy. Um, and then I start going to crypto conventions and conferences and I'm just like, these are my people. You know, I go there, I have so much fun. I, I finish and I'm like, okay, when's the next one? So, um, you know, I think that's really what what drew me in the kind of like that final uh, straw that I was just like, all right, I'm, I'm all in. You know, I just, I just want to hang around these people if that's all I have to do for, for the rest of my career. So, yeah, I, I think a lot of folks here feel the same way. Uh, especially with DevCon coming up next month, and that's going to be a really amazing celebration with everybody. There's something else that you mentioned just around gaming. One of the things I find really fascinating is that a lot of folks that are in crypto come have similar elements in their backgrounds. You see a lot of poker players. You also see a lot of gamers, and it's especially gamers that have gone outside of the r strict rules of the game around what they wanted to be able to do. And so for me, that game was RuneScape. Uh, I didn't sell gold, but I did help people. I was I was essentially a middleman, ferrying things uh, between the real world and and RuneScape at the time. It's funny you mentioned that because that's what I was looking to do. I was looking to sell uh, some of my stuff from RuneScape 
to get into Bitcoin and then use that Bitcoin to purchase something on, on World of Warcraft. Uh, I was trying to go between games. And I thought that was such a cool concept at the time. Like, you know, there's this way that you can get tangibility out of, out of one game and transfer assets between games. Um, and, and so I've always been kind of a quiet evangelist of like, how cool would that be in the future? And like, we're, we're kind of here now where we're, we're starting to see elements of that actually take shape, which um, I just think is awesome. Yeah, totally, totally, totally. So what I wanted to chat about next is, so you folks are four of the six plaintiffs as part of this lawsuit. And when we look at this lawsuit, obviously it has very wide ranging implications for the crypto ecosystem. And we think that it's going to be um, something that a lot of folks should be keeping an eye on. But it's not an easy decision to join any lawsuit at all, right? Like nobody would like to be involved in one by, by choice, um, but especially this lawsuit with as many implications as, as it has. And so something I wanted to spend a little bit of time on is just understanding um, you know, how, you, how you folks thought about it and what compelled you to join this lawsuit and participate. Um, the reason I wanted to start out with Kevin actually was because as he was talking about his work on Grid Plus, which is a hardware wallet, what that allows you to do is it allows users to self-custody their assets and to be able to you know, exert, exert sovereignty over how they hold their assets and what they do with them um, and things of that nature. And so there's some really interesting um, implications there because obviously the blockchain is all public today, or at least the Ethereum blockchain is. And so you know, as a user, if you're holding all your own assets and all of it is publicly visible that you know, certain addresses hold certain funds, um, that creates all kinds of implications and, and, and challenges for individual privacy. And so, Kevin, uh, if you don't mind, I'll kick it over to you. I'd love to hear about why you felt compelled to join this lawsuit. Sure. It's a it's an easy question with not a very simple answer. Um, right. So it kind of boiled down to I took I took what was thousands of different thoughts and and uh, decision points once this became something that could clearly happen. Um, and I tried to I tried to frame it in how I got myself to this point in the first place. Uh, I've changed my life around for uh, this network, this industry, this ecosystem, and, and a lot of people do that when they go and search for for things that um, uh, motivates them, inspires them. I did it with my you know, previous work in Web two and mobile, um, but that I think speaks unto itself. I had um, a number of years of experience in a, a wide network. Of people in that previous life and uh, felt successful in that enough, but wanted what I thought was at a personal level um, to start making impactful changes. And I didn't necessarily know how to do that. When it comes down to it, you know, I, I completely uprooted my professional and personal life around this network. I'm working two jobs in the ecosystem, uh, one as an individual contributor uh, at a wallet manufacturing company and one as a small business owner helping to secure this network and uh those aren't just things you wake up you know one morning on a sunday and be like that's gonna happen i'm just gonna start doing this now and, and you know it all it's all gonna work out uh I, I think the gravity of that um and accepting what that really meant means that if there was anyone who uh was given the opportunity uh like i was being given uh you know if it wasn't going to be me uh, you know, who would it be? What would the profile of person who I, I would want to represent what I'm I'm doing and what I think is important 
uh, who would that look like? And, and you know, as, as long as it kind of aligns with it. And I, I know that there's going to be a lot of people who feel that way, who feel like um, this opportunity is something they would have loved to participate in uh, 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 for m many of the same reasons. Um, and ultimately, I just feel like uh, I'm hopefully representing some piece of their sentiment. And I hopefully like get to uh, represent and, and uh, participate in change that they want for themselves and is going to make this uh, the future of this ecosystem uh, much, much better for everyone who uh, values, you know, their personal privacy and values their, um, uh, their, their, their digital identities. Yeah. And, and you and Alex have been working together, if I understand correctly, on the uh, small business uh, around securing the Ethereum blockchain. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, we've uh, I've, I found a, a great partner in Alex, uh, someone who uh, I should have found out from my network a uh, long time ago, but only recently in 2017, we, we kind of crossed paths and then found out everyone else we knew, knew us, but we didn't know each other. It just happened like that. It's now spanned almost two years of partnership, uh, you know, informal, prof informal professional partnership uh, where we get to uh, soundboard one another's thoughts. We get to talk and discuss what we're thinking, look for opportunities um, and, uh, you know, actually execute and implement infrastructure so that we're up 24 seven and, and allowing these transactions to go through. That's awesome. Alex, can I, can I kick it over to you? What compelled you? I mean, obviously, obviously you and Kevin talked a bunch about it, but um, love to hear your viewpoint. Yeah, well, so I mean, I, Kevin kind of alluded to the fact that, uh, and it's probably no secret that we're big, big nerds, right? Uh, probably, probably most of us here. So, like, I grew up in the '80s, and you know, in the '90s, you know, I remember the web, like the inception of the web in like what '92, '93. Like, I was just like some pimply face, like, like preteen making you know an HTML web page back in I think it was '93 or '94. I made my first web page, and my parents like college you know college internet access account or whatever but like remembering back the 90s and phil zimmerman and um the release of um, pgp or pretty good privacy basically an open source encryption alternative uh the reality is i think you know writing code um or, or software or or you know <laughs> sharing ideas whether they're encrypted or not it's strings you know of of numbers you know digits and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, even if people don't agree with it, like you, you have a basic human right to, to write those things. And even if you want to write them to yourself and keep them private, um, I, I do see that as a, a human right. Um, so that was really, you know, having memories of the nineties and, um, government, you know, in some ways trying to make, make encryption illegal was, was, was something that was very chilling to me when, when the, you know, tornado cash announcement was, was made. It was like, okay, yesterday I could, run this software and now today randomly just someone decided um if i do i could go to you know jail for a long time and that that shocked me i think kevin was on vacation that week and, and about two days in i messaged him i was like dude i think i'm having an ex existential crisis like do you know what this means um like everything may have changed and um so it was very chilling to me and um when i was you know given the opportunity to to maybe you know do a small part in taking some action um, to to you know kind of address this. I I thought long and hard, and I thought this is something that if I didn't do it, I would regret not trying to do my part. And so I felt it was a a, a duty. Yeah, 
and it's so amazing to hear you mention Zimmerman and, and PGP. A lot of folks forget that encryption, it wasn't even that they were trying to make it illegal. It was classified as munitions up until sometime in the 90s. And munitions is, you know, literally bombs and grenades and guns and, you know, all the things that, that you could be <laughs> exporting, which is crazy. Um, and and I, th I think a lot of folks that haven't, you know, that weren't around for it, um, take it for granted that we have encryption and that something like end-to-end -end encryption, which is what we expect as a norm in our communications today, is, is a thing that is accessible to people uh, and to us. There's a really good book called The Code Book, and I believe it was written in 1999. And in that book, the author talks about the history of encryption, the history of ciphers in a way that is very understandable. You know, you don't need any kind of math background to read it. It's really, really good. And it talks about the Caesar cipher and all these different uh, machines and inventions and um, advancements of encryption. And so you realize it's not a recent phenomenon. Privacy is not a recent phenomenon. The, you know, privacy, privacy is normal. People have always wanted privacy and it's always been normal. And, and so when we look at privacy today, it's actually an anomaly, the amount, like the, how little privacy we have today and the desire to maintain privacy and desire to have financial privacy is the norm. And it's been the norm for like, as long as people have had the concept of privacy or need of privacy. Um, which I think is really interesting. Victor, if you don't, if you don't mind, I just want to kind of uh, touch on something that Alex reminded me of. Uh, he mentioned a little bit uh, early on in the early days of the internet, 90s and cryptography. Um, without sounding too old, like I, I, I just want to recount, like um, there, there was this sense, sense that I got uh, when this tornado cash um, uh, sanction stuff happened. Like, I was thinking about my existence. If you're of a certain age, Victor, you have an existence that aligns with the entire growth of the internet for more or less when it's uh, coming to the minds and hearts of consumers or like normal users. It's like this four-part tech journey. If you're, and it's and it's existed your whole life. You saw cryptography issues in the 90s, uh, out, uh, potentially outlawing privacy in that manner. Um, you may have remembered peer-to-peer -peer file sharing and music downloads that really shaped uh, was another pinnacle like moment of wow this technology is so capable. Um, then a couple years later you had BitTorrent, and now you have cryptocurrency. Basically, it, it says that my entire existence, being the nerd that Alex had mentioned, we all are, uh, has in one way or another uh, interfaced with uh, you know concerns about the legality of this technology. When frankly, all I've ever wanted to just do is enjoy the cool stuff that I see going on uh, in in front of me. And then across this digital digital landscape, like you know, connecting with people around the world, like Tyler mentioned when he was playing video games, like I, I just kind of feel like a little bit uh, um, naive in in a slight way that I've just kind of been here looking at cool stuff that I, I enjoy and think uh, it pushes uh, us, uh, you know, forward in various ways, digital and otherwise. So um, that's just one of those things that I, I kind of was reminded of when I was listening to what Alex was talking about. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, Preston and Tyler, if you guys have anything you want to comment on, now is the time. And if not, love to hear what compelled you to join this lawsuit. You know, what compelled me to join this, right? Uh, you know, I work on Ethereum because I believe in the technology. Uh, I think that it can really reach like a scale that helps people on a global scale. And part of scaling, I think, is to have privacy preserving technology. 
I adamantly believe that there is no freedom without privacy. Privacy is a fundamental right. And, uh, you know, when I saw these uh, sanctions come up for Tornado Cash and that they suddenly said, this, you can't use this code anymore. Um, and that anybody who facilitates the use of that code could be subject to sanctions. I, I was really concerned about the precedent that might set, you know, as a core developer for Ethereum and say, okay, well, how far does that go? Could that be as far as saying the Ethereum protocol itself cannot be credibly neutral based on US sanctions? And and that was something I was really kind of kind of worried about there. So I wanted to join and kind of be a part of this movement and say, can we get uh, privacy preserving, keep Ethereum to be credibly neutral and and really be this platform that it that it aims to be? Yeah. And and I think that's such a powerful way of looking at it because when we think about the ethereum blockchains or, or just blockchains generally it is it, it's it's almost like a, a a mirror image of the real world where you have infrastructure and there's things that are built on top of that infrastructure and so in the real world you have you know pipes and roads and electricity and all these various different components and then you have everything else is built on top and then people interact there and they mostly do good things and every once in a while people do things that we disagree with or, or that are actually illegal. Um, and the same thing happens with Ethereum, right? People build all kinds of stuff on it. Um, and it's just serving as, as the pipes in the road and the infrastructure. And so when we think about it, like most of the stuff there is stuff that we agree with, but there's also going to be things that we disagree with or that are illegal in some countries. And that's just the state of it. Um, and so I, I, th I think it's a really important point that you made around like, you know, what are all the implications of it? And I think one of the interesting things that I always think about is, you know, when we have places for law enforcement and we have places to express opinions, um, you know, where is the right place to express those perspectives and go after criminals and what are the right tools to do it? And so essentially, how do you not throw the baby out with the bathwater and how do you target um, how you approach these challenges? You know, and I think that's a that's an interesting perspective to put it in because obviously I think professionally, um, which resonates with me personally, there's the security and privacy aspect of it where I'm just like, you know, this this has to be, you know, this has yeah. to be default, right? Security well, by, by default, privacy by default, you know? Yeah, and, and that's an interesting, interesting thing. I think so many of us, just professionals generally, we define so much of ourselves based off of the work that we do. But there's also, right, a, like a reason behind the work and a reason behind the career. And so that's what I'd love to tease out here. Yeah, yeah, no, and, and, and it totally... Uh, you know, resonates with me in that personal aspect, kind of behind what what um, you know I present as my my professional um, ideals, and um, you know I think well first to answer the question I was not compelled initially to join this. Um, in fact, I was very hesitant, um, and you know I, I think I mentioned it earlier. I'm very much kind of a, a quiet. Uh, advocate or like a quiet evangelist of, of all things crypto and security and privacy. In my personal life, I tend to, yeah, not want to shout things from the rooftops. And so, but amongst friends, you know, I'm always talking about um, security and privacy and, and um, you know, how important it is and, and trying to rectify, you know, a lot of ideals that people have. It's like, well, I have nothing to hide. Um, it's my favorite argument to, to combat. Um, but, but I would say, you know, personally, uh, I, I think that's where a lot of um, 
you know, reason or what compelled me to, to join this was at the end of the day. And, and, and I'd echo kind of what Alex said. It's about it. There was this weird sense of like duty that, that I felt, you know, okay, this is one of the things that feels righteous enough, or at least, you know, um, feels like finally something that I would stand up for and, and want to put my foot down. Um, especially, you know, it's civil discourse. It's saying, Hey, you know, I think privacy is, is a right, um, and should be kind of enabled by default. And this is one of our options. Um, but more importantly, it's it's something that protects the uh, how I personally view you know privacy, which is I, it's not that I have something to hide, but it's like if it's an option, why wouldn't I want to uh, have some of my stuff be a little bit more anonymous? I don't, I'm not someone who likes to just go from the rooftop, start shouting every opinion I have, and you know everything on the internet lives forever. And if you have the option to not have it live forever, or at least publicly directly attributable to you. Um, that's of my personal opinion. And I was like, why would I, why would I want to do that? Um, yeah. So I think that kind of answers it. it is, it's very much more of the, the, just the personal want to not be the tallest, you know, weed sticking out of the, the bunch. Right. So. Hey, Hey Victor, uh, for the record, I think both Preston and I are like six footers. So we, we, we already stand out as, as it is, but I, I did have one kind of comment based off of what Tyler said that we haven't talked about yet. And that's uh, safety. And like we've talked about security, like like data security, but but even safety of uh, us as individuals, um, people connected to us, our, um, our relatives. You know, there was a, a hardware wallet manufacturer, uh, I think a couple years ago now that had um, their internal records compromised. So there's a lot of people that had gotten into crypto, I think before, uh, 2017 or, or 2018 now their home addresses phone numbers the record that they you know had a hardware wallet for crypto is out there and if you were on that list i i am on that list um you like to this day years later you, you get scammers and hackers you know texting you or emailing you and, you, and you're a target that's uh, that comes with the territory i mean it's hard to to totally prevent that kind of stuff especially in a web 2 world where you don't have sovereignty over your own own data but i i do think that you know as a member of this community and a user of Ethereum, you can just really easily, like pretty much everyone will accidentally dox themselves at some point. For example, just a few hours ago, someone posted on Twitter, they um, proposed a, a block, like their their, val their ETH validator proposed like their first or second block, and they mentioned it, you know, they got an X amount of ETH reward. Now, situations like that, where they're, they're like, you're not, giving out your account address you're not linking it to an ens name you know sometimes people say oh well people unintentionally use ens and they dox themselves that way um I, I think even without ens you just have a comment like that now i can go look at that that value of eth i can see it, the blocks that were proposed over the last hour and i can potentially find out you know i can link a real world identity to that ethereum account and i think whenever we talk about new projects and everything's so bleeding edge it's just really easy without um, a, a privacy protocol like Tornado Cash to protect yourself. Yeah. yeah. With everything just so public on, on the blockchain, I mean, all it takes is one action in one place and you can accidentally, that could be like the hub in a spoke, uh, millions of spokes. And all of a sudden now a ton of data points are attributable to one person have not now just been linked. Maybe five years in the future, I get an ENS and I accidentally purchase it with my main wallet. Now, boom, everything is attributable directly to my person. So, you know, it's, it's more about future thinking as well as it's not like, Hey, I'm trying to hide something today or be private today, but it's also thinking in the future is what if I do something in the future that I don't want to be public? Um, you know, how do I protect that from, 
from day zero. So just wanted to yeah. add that. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I also think that when we think about the future where crypto is going to be widely adopted, one of the things it's going to be very useful for is payments, right? Obviously. And uh, the question becomes, do you want people to know which supermarket you shop at, how often you go there, what your schedule looks like, where you get your haircuts? Like all these things are going to be visible which to, to, to everybody, right? And if you ever slip up, um, you know, as Tyler and Alex were saying, and it, you know, five, you, you, you've, you've kept a perfect track record. You've been spending a lot of time and being extremely cautious, which by the way, most people will not do. At some point, almost everybody slips up. And at that point, all of your history now becomes publicly accessible and viewable for anybody that's paying attention. And I think we already know that a lot of people are paying attention. Um, and in the future, that that is only going to increase. And so when we think about it from that perspective, like you, it's it's scary. It it, it really it really is. And the, and the thing is that because all of this stuff um, is so widely available, it's not even that just the you know quote unquote bad guys of nations or whatever um, are going to be the ones watching. People can just create open source tools, right? That are going to be the you know websites and and UIs and um, things that are available to just be like, hey, put it in this address and start getting information out of it. Um, and so this isn't just going to be available to nations. Like this is going to be available to everybody. And it's really important that privacy um, is possible so that everybody can protect themselves um, and make sure that, that everybody remains secure. When we look at this lawsuit, I mean, you know, preferably it wouldn't have been a lawsuit, right? Nobody here wants to be involved in in, in, a, in a lawsuit. It's not something that anybody seeks out. But I think one of the important thing is that the way that this is going is um, according to the process that is defined in the, in the United States, right? Like this is how you go through the system. This is how you work within the system. This is how you work with treasury and all these other actors to both challenge, but also educate um, and try to work together to re reach the right conclusion. And I think that's one of the important things, which is that sometimes crypto, especially if you've been paying attention to crypto in the very early days, Sometimes it has a little bit of a Wild West perception, even though that's not actually true and it hasn't been true for a long time. And I think this is one of the latest examples of you know, crypto individuals and crypto companies um, operating within the rules and frameworks of different regulatory agencies and following processes in order to come to consensus and help uh, everybody reach the correct conclusions um, as, we, as we see them to be. Yeah, and if I could just um, add something to that, you know, I think that's that is one of the things, you know, if I if I was performing a, a general risk analysis on should I join this, uh, you know, lawsuit as I did, well, there was a lot of pros, a lot of cons, and and some of the things that helped me get a lot more easy with with this was thinking about it and looking at this through the frame of, you know, a this is this is purely civil discourse, right? It's uh, you know, we're not claiming that you know, uh, anything from an ideological or some kind of religious standpoint or something, it's, hey, there's, there's this process and we're going to engage in this other process that's perfectly legal to say, hey, we disagree with that that action that was taking place. Um, and yeah, it, it, in fact, if, if nothing else, it felt like we were doing our civic duty to um, perform those checks and balances that were given as a right, you know, as part of part of our government. So um, I think that that also helped a lot in the decision-making process. Yeah, 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 totally. So 
we're coming up on time. Um, and so what I'd love to leave off with is what do you hope to uh, accomplish by filing this lawsuit? Like, what is the end goal for you folks? Obviously, the lawsuit specifically concerns the Tornado Cash smart contracts themselves, so the software itself. Um, and so we'd love to hear from you guys, like what you hope to accomplish and if there's uh, anything else beyond um, the software itself that is important to you. Well, I, I'll just start. I, I mean, I'd like uh, OFAC and Treasury to rescind the, the judgment that they they dropped a little over a month ago. But the reality is that there's a, a, a the way it was done uh, is not, I don't think it would be effective. And um, I don't think it's hurting anyone but legal users like us. So that's the short of it. Yeah, it would really echo what Alex is saying is, uh, you know, we would like to see these uh, uh, sanctions uh, lifted and, and saying that you, you, you can't sanction code. That's, uh, that's not right. And, and to encourage, you know, sustaining privacy preserving technology within Ethereum and other blockchain technologies because uh, privacy is freedom. There's no freedom without privacy. It's a, a fundamental right that uh, entitled to us all. Privacy is something that we're losing with each generation in the current digital trends. Um, I think of the, uh, the plaintiffs, I'm not sure how many have families. Um, I think about this a lot and I think about what I personally wanted when I came to the uh, ecosystem and I think about what I'm witnessing and participating in as part of this lawsuit. Um, it's really important that we remember privacy is something that is fundamental and code is speech. I've been writing code for years. I've never thought about it as anything more than how I'm thinking about and saying things through, you know, numbers and symbols. Um, and underpinning all that is this incredible set of math rules that play the, the <laughs> that, that play the song and uh, you hear the tune and it's the same thing every time, more or less. It's, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're logical people and it, it seems logical uh, above all, all else to think that um, we should exist with uh, the right to privacy. Yeah, and so my my wife and I are pregnant right now, and we have a baby boy on the way. Both of you. <laughs> Congratulations, uh, Victor. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, what what did they call it? Sympathy weight. I I did gain some. <laughs> it happens, brother. <laughs> um, but I I definitely think a lot about that. Right, with a, with a son on the way, how do we build the right world in which he can you know continue to find and experience freedom in America and throughout the world and continue to maintain privacy and continue to help solve sovereignty um, over his financial life and future. Without just repeating everything that everyone has said, which I, I totally agree with, um, you know, I think I probably resonate more with, with kind of Kevin's side as well. Um, from the technology standpoint, I've always thought, you know, zero knowledge proofs uh, were the coolest things in sliced bread. Um, and I, I really want, um, you know, what I would hope for the outcome is that People aren't afraid of, of using these type of technologies and figuring out what other use cases, you know, continuing to develop on this open source code um, so that potentially someone down the line thinks of a better use case and says, hey, I want to borrow this really cool thing that that Tornado Cash was doing without there being some kind of stigma of, you know, oh, I can't really do that because it was associated with, you know, these these OFAC sanctions. But I would say more, more than, than all of that, what I'm hoping to get out of this is just uh, a little bit of... of sentiment check on on folks in government and just in, in general 
of, hey, privacy is this thing that, that we care about. We want to push back a little bit um, so that you don't continue like if, you know, with with this precedent, you know, if it if this is first, then what's next and what's after that? Well, you know, before it just starts snowballing is my hope is that this is our, you know, as a crypto community's first kind of, you know, hip check of, hey, you know, we don't like that thing you did. Let's talk about this. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm not one of the plaintiffs, but I am deeply committed to this cause because my wife is the head of business development at Aztec Network, which is a privacy and scalability layer two on Ethereum. And what it does is fairly straightforward. It allows people to interact with financial applications in privacy. And so if you're using Compound or Aave or you know other things um, in the future, like you're going to treat these things as your bank account. And when you treat them as your bank account, you would like to interact with your bank account in a private way. Um, and so I'm a deep, deep believer in what we're doing. And I'm um, extremely grateful to all of you for you know, taking this, taking up this call and um, joining this complaint. And um, I just wanted to say such a huge, um, such a huge thank you to all of you from everybody in the Ethereum and, and crypto and privacy communities. Um, and also, thank you for coming on this podcast and sharing your stories. With that, um, I hope you guys have a wonderful day. Thanks, Thanks Victor. Victor. Thanks. Thank you. Bye. This case has now been filed in the Western District of Texas. You can find a copy of the complaint online and you can read all about uh, how these individuals and other innocent people were harmed by these sanctions. Coinbase is proud to support them, as I mentioned before. And what we're going to be doing is keeping an eye on it over the next few months as it moves its way through the court system. We're going to continue supporting and funding um, this lawsuit brought by these individuals. We believe that privacy is incredibly important for everybody, but especially when you're working on a blockchain and everything you've ever done is publicly available and accessible for everybody to see. And so with that, we look forward to uh, continuing this challenge and continue to support these individuals um, as we fight the good fight. Today's conversation is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal or investment advice. Actual results may vary materially from any forward-looking statements made and are subject to risks and uncertainties.